Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Wally and Mathot Show Live. Now, here are your hosts, Brent Wallace and Mark Mathot. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wally and Mathot Show Live, brought to you by sportsinteraction.com. Go to sportsinteraction.com slash Wally and Mathot. They are Canada's sportsbook. Uh, Meth, it is snowing in the nation's capital on this Monday. You have your Christmas tree up, and you're planning to go to an Adele concert. This is quite a week ahead for you here. Uh, do you want to get to the Christmas tree first? This, so this is how we're starting off our show. You're just going to chirp me <laughs> like this. Listen, I had nothing to do with that Christmas tree. I'm always in. A, I'm a firm believer that a tree has no business being in a home until December first. But it's, it's not a fight I'm ever going to win with my wife. So I just let her do what she wants. All right. I, I want to hear everybody's thoughts. The chat is open. Please chime in on your thoughts of when Christmas decorations should go up in the house. For me. It used to be December the 8th because my birthday was December the 7th and I didn't want to have any decorations before my birthday. I have since relinquished when you have kids. So you can do whatever <laughs> you want now. I don't care. But right. um, And let's get to the Adele because it makes me laugh. Brady Kachuk said on yeah. our, uh, I think, our seventh episode that he wanted to go yeah. to an Adele concert and got chirped for it. You watched this documentary last night and now you are planning a trip with him to the next concert, I'm assuming. Again, you're just fabricating all these stories. Yes, I watched in bed a live concert special with Oprah Winfrey and Adele last night, and it was really good. So, you know what? I, I've always been a bit of a fan of hers, but even more so now that I've kind of learned a little bit of her personal side. We can we can move on from this, Wally. <laughs> I, it's okay just to be in touch with a bit of your feminine side and admit you want to go to an Adele concert. That's all I'm saying. I do. I, I, uh, coming I'm up, huge, we've got... No, I, 100%. 100%. Sorry. Okay, continue. Uh, uh, that's okay. Coming up on the show, we've got Tim Peel, longtime NHL official, over 1,400 games, a fellow Maritimer, in fact, from New Brunswick as well. So he already skyrockets to the top of our favorite guest list. Um, we're going to talk to him about a few things, including Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, um, and maybe some coaches he didn't get along with over the time. Let's, uh, mm. But that's all still ahead. Um, Meth, also at the end of the show, uh, once we're done with Tim, is we're going to talk about the Sens and how things are going with COVID and all that stuff that's 
I mean, just ravaging this hockey team and how they're now, I mean, it's pretty obvious being shut out twice in the last three games. This team is struggling to find its way given they just don't have the bodies to keep up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, they're going to, well, we'll touch on this after, as you just mentioned, but I have liked the way they've played, you know, despite all these injuries and all the COVID protocol players right now, I, I, they've looked pretty good and I'm starting to have a different opinion now on that back, that back end with some of these new players coming in. We'll get to that after the interview. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, let's, without further ado, bring in Tim Peel, longtime NHL official, resident of St. Louis, but still a Maritimer at heart, as always. Tim, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thanks, Brent. Thanks, Mark. Congratulations on the show. Thank you. Well, apparently, if this goes any longer, Meth may be done with it after today. So I'll try to keep Correct. this on. You know right what? Now. I, I wish I hadn't known he was. A, I wish I hadn't known he was a big Adele fan back in the day, because I definitely could have used that to my <laughs> advantage on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> so here's it: Do you chirp players as much as they chirp you? No, back we would go back and forth. Like <laughs> back when Mark and I were coming up, you know, if somebody said you know, F you or whatever, and that happens on the ice, you, you would give it back. But sure. it, it there really isn't a lot of that this these days. And I was telling somebody the other day that the game has changed so much and in and, and, and a good way, but these players, like I remember refereeing Connor McDavid. I don't know if he ever came up to me and talked to me because these players are so focused now. They're, they're they have, they, they don't, it's not that they don't want to get along with the refs, but having a relationship with the referees isn't really anything of importance to them. They're, 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 uh, you know, their goal is to go out there and be they're, to be focused and, and refereeing is the last thing that they're really worried about. It's a lot different yeah, than it was when we were coming up. Yeah. And I find that odd. It's funny you say that PLZ because like when I would play and I was never like a captain or anything like that, but you mentioned Connor McDavid, you would think that they would go out of their way to try to establish a little bit of like, you know, camaraderie or a little friendliness back and forth so that maybe, you know, from a player's point of view, first of all, you're just trying to be polite, but second, you're looking for an advantage anywhere you can get it. And if you're getting along well with the referees and the linesmen, to me, I don't see why you wouldn't even at least entertain that. No, and that's a, that's a good point. But the game, the things have changed in the sense that when you were playing, obviously you chartered, but there were lots of nights that you didn't leave right after the game. And sure. whether whatever city it would be in, we'd run into each other and have a beer. And, and that's how you developed a relationship with a lot of the players back then was off the ice. And the game has changed so much that these younger players, there's too much money uh, that they're not in a bad way, but they're just focused on their own themselves, their career. And, uh, you know, relationship with the referees, I don't think is, is as big as importance as it was years ago. Hmm. Okay, I want to. I have so much to talk to you, Tim, about, but I want to get into a couple of the big stories that have happened. Well, let's see, even last night, uh, Sidney Crosby, I don't even know what to call it, tackles, throws down, bear hugs, whatever you want to call uh, Meth wants a 10 game suspension. Uh, what are you surprised there's no call on this play? You know, looking at the play, you can call a two minute roughing penalty. That's all it is. If, if the guys chose not to to call it it was six nothing at the at the time i don't know how much time was left in the game i don't think a lot um but let's be honest martin is it fairvy fairvy he's six Some, two, yeah. 200 yeah he's six two, 202 pounds okay sid just doesn't throw this guy around if you watch the entire play it's simply 
there's so much momentum going towards the end board. Sid, Sid's not yes. strong enough to throw a guy 6'2", 200 pounds. It was strictly the momentum. The max that you would call on this play would be a two-minute penalty for roughing, and uh, and I'd leave it at that. I wish – like, I, I feel like I need to chime in here, but I, I don't – yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought just it's the extra movement where it looks like he's kind of embellishing – like it almost looks like he's using that momentum Peelzy to like kind of launch him into the wall. But then you make a really good point. I mean, he's not a big dude and I feel like it would be difficult to throw him like that. And I hate even analyzing this because people know I'm already biased, but I, I think yeah. for me, it's that extra little shot that he does that seemed a little reckless. Having said that I was trolling with regards to my Twitter post this morning. I want to make that clear to everybody listening, but so you think maybe a two minute minor max, it's a two-minute penalty for roughing. That's it's okay, no more than two enough. minutes, uh, and yeah. and it, because it's Sidney Crosby, people want him to be suspended, which is a complete joke. No, <laughs> I agree. But, but I was the other. I'm not referring. I'm not referring to you on that because I know you were joking. But but yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's a minor penalty at the most. Okay. But Tim, the flip side of that is people think he doesn't get a penalty because he is Sidney Crosby. Like, do you? As officials, ref at all the backs of the names on the backs of the jerseys opposed to the front. Well, we have to protect the the stars in our game. You know, I took my son Bronson down to the Blues game last night to watch Edmonton Oilers. He he wanted to go see Connor McDavid, and that's who the fans are there to see is Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, Nate McKinnon. We can go on and on. So our officials aren't instructed to call the game any different for any of the players. But let's be honest, in any sport, whether it's the NFL, NBA, uh, and the NHL, we need to protect our stars. They're the ones, we do not want Alex Ovechkin getting run from behind and and missing 20 games because he's hurt and not, not be able to chase down scoring records and so on. So yeah. do we consciously do it? No, but at the end of the day, we need to protect our stars. That's who people come to see. Yeah. Okay, so I got two things to go off that. One is the Connor McDavid, they complain that he doesn't get the protection or doesn't get the calls of all the hacking and whacking that he has to kind of work his way through. The other is uh, Alex Ovechkin's hit on Nick Paul the other night in, uh, I'll say the other night, in Ottawa, where he doesn't get a penalty. Why is there no call on the Nick Paul play, first of all? I saw, I saw that play and I looked at it because Cedric Paquette, uh, boarded Zegras, I think, the same night, and Pet yep. got a three, two game suspension, two. and I, yep. I, two games, and I attributed that to distance traveled. Uh, Paquette came from a longer, he chased him down. Um, this play here, I don't do, do not think that this is suspension worthy, but I can almost guarantee you that the league would want a minor penalty for boarding on this play. Or if you want, you could give him a five-minute boarding penalty and keep him in the game. Because we have the option to go two for boarding, five for boarding, keep him in the game, or five for boarding and kick him out of the game. Is this a two-minute penalty? Probably not. Is it a five-minute penalty? It's like maybe it's a three- or four-minute penalty. You know, but this <laughs> is a penalty. This should have been called in the game. And I know that the league wants these type of penalties called for sure. But he, he shouldn't get suspended for this hit because he most suspensions are when a guy, there's separation. You can see in this picture, there's separation between Ovechkin and Paul. 
or there's not any separation. Most of them are when there's separation and he drills them, you know, violently, violently into right. the boards. This play here, yeah. I don't have a problem with, with just calling a two minute penalty on this play. So, and that's because, so you're suggesting because he's being like ridden into the wall, right? Like there's no Correct. separation. He's Correct. Just like carrying him into the, okay. It's just, it's Correct. the contact in but, the glass and the head to the glass that made it look so violent. And I think that's why everybody was calling for his head, you know? hundred percent. And and when I saw it and, and I saw Paul's hit his head off the, off the boards, I'm like, we need a penalty here. Like we, because that, yeah. an easy way to explain to Peter Laviolette is, is that the standard that we're going to allow tonight? Do you want your players, your defensemen getting run from behind? And if Good that's point. the standard you want, then that's fine. And I can guarantee you, Peter would say, no, you're right. That's a penalty and let's move on. Mm. Yeah. Fair point. So, what about Connor McDavid? And so we saw that John Tortorella, and I, this doesn't really make any sense about John Tortorella. He says, you know, he, he's got to change his game for the playoffs. One, uh, is Connor McDavid not called, I guess, plays on him not called like they should be called around the league? Why does it seem he has, because he gets the attention, doesn't get the calls maybe that he should? You know, I, I almost called Torts to ask him what he meant because he, he told McDavid that he needs to shut up, Correct. Yeah, and I saw that quote too. I, and and I love Torts. He was one of my favorite coaches when I when I refereed. But Connor McDavid doesn't need to shut up because he doesn't even say anything. He doesn't complain to the refs. <laughs> he doesn't complain. Yeah. He doesn't complain in the me, in the media. He you know we've seen many superstars in, over the last twenty years complain in the media. He hasn't complained. I think he's handled it very very well. There were three or four clips that that I looked at the other day. Uh, one of them I didn't think was a penalty. The other three, they were tripping penalties. Um, one problem is that he not, he's not too fast for the officials, but he's so fast that any little stick in there knocks him off, can knock him off balance. And I'm not yeah. saying I'm not saying that our officials. I can guarantee you, they're not going. Hey, we're going to go into this game and not call any penalties uh, in Connor McDavid's favor. They're not doing that. But I think that they do need to refocus every once in a while and say, hey, if there's an opportunity, especially in the first period, where you can grab a penalty against the other team on McDavid for a trip or a hook or a hold, and you can show that other team, this is the standard that I'm calling tonight. And and because the players adjust very quickly, Rob Schick, one of our supervisors in the National Hockey League, he would always tell us, if you can get two or three penalties early in the game and set the standard and set the tone, the players will adjust and it'll just help your game flow better down the road or, you know, during the game. So I think if our officials could get a penalty, you know, if it's there, if it's warranted in the first period uh, on McDavid and in his favor, then I think that they should, they should take that uh, opportunity and grab it and make the call. But I can guarantee you, they're not going into the game going, we're not calling any penalties against Connor McDavid. Right. Uh, some, uh, it's, some sense fans would argue that you guys have a complete bias against Ottawa. I always get this after a does, missed call. Does like, every fan base never that? want I feel the like Ottawa? Fan yes, yeah. it's always the same. So everybody, like, why can't they get the call? So um, Tim, I guess yeah. why do you hate the Ottawa Senators? Yeah, that's that, that's I love that. That's awesome, Wally. So I it was funny in 2012. Uh, Tisha, my wife, she was pregnant with Bronson, and we go to Ottawa for the All Star Game and. And we're in the convention center and we're doing a little Q&A and we've got the four officials up there and, and uh, the room's, 
you know, pretty filled up and people want to know about a fishy and asking questions. And some fan walks by, and goes, Peel, you suck. I go, there's one of my favorites right there. <laughs> and, you know, I, I never understood that because I did my first game in the NHL. My first game ever in the NHL was in Ottawa. Colorado was there in 1999. I worked the all-star game there. I loved working in Ottawa. I loved the, the, the training staff. I loved the, the, our security people. Uh, you know, I just, I loved being back in Canada. I, I loved Ottawa. So I never understood that, but I'm sure, you know, I heard Carolina Hurricanes think I'm the worst ref to ever put on a, a referee jersey. So every fan base has their own opinion. Why does officiating change in the playoffs and why don't they just call the damn game? So that's a, that's a question that is, is asked a lot. And I disagree to a certain extent that the, that our, our standard changes in the playoffs. I think everybody realizes when we had the, the crackdown this year on cross-checking I think everybody realizes if you watch the Scott Mayfield cross check on Kucherov we all know that that should have been called a penalty and but what happens in the playoffs I can guarantee you that um, Barry Trotz is in the dressing room before his game telling the, his players you cannot take any penalties against Tampa they will kill us on the power play. We cannot be shorthanded against this team. So a lot of it is, and I truly believe this, is the players are a lot more disciplined in the playoffs. And in the regular season, no, in the in the playoffs, if I make a call and it it's a one-minute penalty because I didn't see it the way that I thought I saw it, and they score in the power play, it becomes a big deal. It's a big deal mm -hmm. if I make a weak call and, they, and the other team scores on the power play. So in the playoffs, yeah. we intentionally don't let stuff go. But what we do make sure of is that we call good National Hockey League penalties. They're good two-minute penalties that everybody in the building can see. Because in the regular season, you'll be watching a game. And when the, when the 10 players on the ice are looking around because they don't know who took the penalty, that probably means it wasn't a very good call at the time so in the come playoffs we make sure we call good nhl penalties and during the regular season we have 34 officials 20 of them make it to the playoffs the other 14 guys go home and we're just like a hockey team you know we have the west mccauley's we have the kelly sutherland's we have our first liners then we have our third liners we have our fourth liners guys some and unfortunately it's just the nature of the business some guys will never work the playoffs and they'll, they'll never be a, but they're good officials but they're maybe not good enough to work the playoffs so you take those 14 guys and they go home and now you've got the top 20 best referees in the world working the playoffs i would like to think that their judgment and their standard is maybe a little more consistent than it is during the regular season when you have 1200 games going on so do you like the west mccauley way he officiates and how animated he is one of the things i've and i've always said this but people argue is that referees regardless or not are part of the entertainment package uh you guys there's only a certain amount of you and you go through the seasons and you're there all the time so uh it's you you are or they wouldn't put your name on the game summary and all that stuff and they wouldn't announce you in the building if you weren't part of the entire package would you right are you more of a west mccauley type guy or are you like to sit in the background and not 
would you prefer not to make those kinds of animated calls? No, I, I love, first of all, Wes is one of my best friends, and, but I love what he brings to the game because the announcers love it. The players love it. He had one play in, uh, in New York and Vino was the coach. It was a couple of years ago when he made this big animated call, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's like, Hey, I'm in New York city, Madison square garden. I'm going to, I'm going to blow this thing up. And he had Vino laughing on the bench. So not everybody can do it. And nobody else should try to be like Wes McCauley. Wes is, yeah. Wes is like a tremendous person, a funny guy. He's been around, you know, his dad was a, a long time ref and he's been around the game so long. He has, guys like him don't come around very often because he, when he skates out, out onto the ice, he has a hundred percent respect from the players before they even drop the puck. They, you know, we've got one of the best refs, Kelly Sutherland's the same way. And, but as far as the, the, his, his uh, animation and so on, you know, there's only one Wes McCauley and, and I love it. I think it's great for our game. And you're right. We're in the entertainment business. So let's make it, let's make it fun. Absolutely. Um, you so your first game is in Ottawa, nineteen ninety nine against Colorado. Were you nervous? What was that game like for you? Yeah, I remember uh, standing at the national anthem, and and it only happened twice in my career. It was my first game in in Ottawa, and then it was my first playoff game in San Jose the next year. And for whatever reason my left leg during the anthem would not stop shaking. It was just shaking, shaking, shaking. And we get the first stop to play, I'm by the net, I'm, I'm leaning down, I got my hands on my knees and get ready for the face off. And this leg just keeps shaking and I just won't stop. And I'm like, dude, you gotta get your stuff together here. And, and then I, I was lucky, I got a penalty uh, early in the game and all of a sudden my nerves went away. So. It was, it's funny how your body can kind of react. And then once you feel comfortable, then everything just falls into place. And and I was working that game with Don Van Massenhoven, who's now a supervisor and Mark knew Don. He, Don, he was a great guy, a good communicator and a great referee. And I was working with Brad Kovacic, who's still on the ice and Pat Tapuzo, who was a, a legendary linesman. And, and they made, they make it easy for the young guys when they're first starting out. So it was a great experience. and. And uh, one I'll never forget. And same thing with my first playoff game. It's funny you mentioned you there. Ever it's you funny you mentioned there, PLZ, when you said that getting that first call gets you into the game. Like as a player, you're like, okay, I just got to get a hit in or something just to get my legs under right. me and feel good. So for you guys, it's like, okay, I just got to look for that first call and then it settles you guys down. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's That's funny. Awesome. And, and the worst the worst thing that could have happened, especially because I was working with Don Van Massenhoven, who had been in the league 10, 15 years at that point, would be yeah. I don't call any penalties the first period. I don't get any penalties the second period. Now we're going into the third period and my this veteran ref has called five or six penalties. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out there on the ice feeling like I'm a cigar store Indian, just standing up, standing <laughs> around. And, and, uh, and so it's important, you know, you, you can't make it up, but it's important if there's an opportunity for you as a young referee to get a penalty early in the game, then you need to, to do that because it'll just put you at ease and, and, and uh, make it a lot easier for you. Mm, nice. What's the worst argument you had with a head coach and have you ever thrown one out of the game? 
I never threw a coach out in the, in the NHL. I, I did in the minor leagues, but everybody did in the minor leagues. Um, <laughs> I threw out Ron Vi, uh, uh, Rick Vive. Uh, he was coaching in uh, St. John, New Brunswick. And, and he threw all the sticks on the ice. And, and, and I, loved, I loved Rick Vive. He was a childhood uh, idol of mine. You know, growing up in New Brunswick, I was a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and loved Lanny McDonald and Rick Vive and all, the, you know, Sittler and, and uh, Mike Palmatier. And so anyway, Viver threw the sticks on the ice and I had to throw them out. But in the NHL, I really tried to get along with the players or with the coaches because I felt if if i had a good relationship with the players and things really started to get heated in the game um i could go over to that coach and because i had a relationship with him and and he could calm his players down the only time that like torts and i he we'd yell at each other and, and so on but torts is like Tor torts was so old school you know a few years ago i was referee refereeing uh columbus there in montreal and Nick Foligno, I called a penalty against him, and and he just went on this rant about how much I didn't respect him, and and it bothered me for a couple of weeks because I I respected Nick Foligno a tremendous amount because his dad Mike used to coach in Hershey when I was coming up, and Mike Foligno is the greatest human beings and just a tremendous person and was always awesome with me, and so when Marcus and Nick came in the league, I had a soft spot for them, and. And so a couple of weeks later, I'm working in Columbus and I go down to the coach's room before the game. And I said to Torts and Shazi, I said, Brad Shaw, I go, can I talk to Nick? And they bring him in. And I told Nick what I just told you guys. And Nick and I give a hug and, and he leaves and Torts goes, I love that. He goes, I love that. We need more of that. We need more of that old school. And so the only one that there's, there's officials that are still working in the, in the league right now. They, Kyle Raymond was working the game with me and we were in New Jersey and Pete DeBoer was there. And I had Pete going back to the Plymouth days and, and he was, we would go at it pretty good. And so now he's, he's coaching for Jersey and I go over the bench and it bothered me because Kyle was a young ref at the time and he was really being hard on Kyle. And I came over and I said something to him and Kyle's standing there and, and Pete goes, you're arrogant. I go, you're arrogant. He goes, you're arrogant. I go, you're arrogant. We went back and forth. That's all we said. No, it was like we were in grade two. I, I know you are, but what am I? And we, and we did. We looked at each other and we go, you're arrogant. You're arrogant. You're arrogant. And, we, and Raymond, Raymond was laughing. At, and I've seen, I've seen Pete since then. And we laughed about it and joked. But you know what? You, you never want to. I, I, I my goal was never I wanted to be liked by everybody. Because if you're liked by everybody, you're probably not going to be a good ref in the league. You want to be respected by everybody. Um, and it's funny because I told Wacom about 12 years ago, I said, I wish I was Tim Peel now when I, of, of when I first came in the league. Because when I first came in the league, yeah, it was a two-referee system. I'm working with Billy McCreary, Don Koharski, Kerry Frazier, Mick Magoo, all these big personalities. And I came in cocky, um, arrogant to a certain degree because I felt like I needed to make a name for myself. And, and you know, as, as I got older and I, I watched like guys like Paul Dvorsky, and you remember Paul, Mark, he mm -hmm. got along with everybody. 
he'd joke and laugh and and if players said something he'd let it roll off his back and Walken even said that to me once and we, we would get a mid-season review in January to see how how you're doing throughout the season and he said if I can just give you a tip maybe you can just let things roll off your backs a, a little and not take yourself so serious so the last 10 years I did that and it made me a better ref you know I would yeah. I would chirp back at players if they said something and and then the last 10 or 12 years I'd go over and go hey man like we're all in this together you know you don't need to talk to me like that and then they, they go oh, I'm sorry PLZ and and but if you just there's some refs that we have that just yell back and that's all that's the only way they know how to communicate and, and that's why they haven't had any success in the league and you can't referee like that and that's why Kelly Sutherland and Wes McCauley are probably our two top refs because they're they're two of the best communicators and that's why it, it makes their job easier so so my experience usually for the most part was pretty positive all my interactions with you guys have always been really yeah. good but but i always had an issue with justin st pierre because every time i wanted to freaking say something to him he would like ignore me you know like if you called the penalty and i wanted to talk to him in person about it afterwards or even just pull him aside not make a scene in front of the crowd it would be after the period when the buzzer went or something he had no time for me why can you give me an answer you know you know, I was on a show the other day and and I don't have an answer because Scotty Upshaw brought up the exact same name and anybody, any oh, name that's ever brought up, <laughs> yeah, and any name that's ever brought up, it's him and I, I you know, I, I put you on the spot the ice, here, I so. don't want, yeah. No, no, it's okay, but but it's to my, my point earlier about knowing how to communicate and that's probably one area that our bosses have, have tried to help them with and said, that's an area you need to improve on because that's a problem if that's kind of the consistent message with every player that he won't mm -hmm. talk to me, he just swears back at me, he yells at me. Well, that's not good for anybody. That's not good for, that's not good for the official. That's not good for the, t you know, the game. You know, we're all in this together and that's what I would tell people. We're all in this together. Let's make it, make it, let's all get along, the coaches, the players, the refs, because if we can, the product's going to be better on the ice. But it's no good if you've got a ref just swearing at a guy all the time because he's going to go back to that bench or he's going to sit in the dressing room and he's going to bring up that, that referee's name and instantly, 100%. whether somebody is, instantly, whether somebody's had an interaction with him or not, they're already going to have their opinion form that this guy's not a good guy. And, Totally it's not agree. good for your reputation. Yep. Uh, you talked about being uh, friends with people. I know you know the Kachuk family very well. You're in St. Louis now, and you've you've hung out. Um, how well do you know Keith? Walt Kachuk, I guess, as we like to call him. Yeah, very good. So I moved to St. Louis in 2001 from Toronto. And uh, right away, you know, as you guys know, the Blues alumni here is tremendous. They have the second biggest alumni to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I didn't know anybody when I lived here. Don Koharski lived here. He was the only person I knew. And he would skate with the alumni and play hockey with them. So he brought me out. And Kelly Chase took me under his wing and took me about town and introduced me to all the, the favorite watering holes in St. Louis. And, and because I was coming up and we were approximately the same age as, you know, Keith and Dougie Waite, Dallas Drake, Al McGinnis, all those guys. We would see each other at golf tournaments in the summer. We'd play golf together a lot. And it just 
it, we just became friends and sometimes to a detriment i know that the you know the, the the league didn't like it that i was as tight with some of these players as i was but it never affected how i refereed them but i was friends with them and keith and i became really good friends and Chantel and and they've just been so good to me over the years you know we after i did my thousandth game in winnipeg years ago we get a, I get a random text, Chantel's organizing a dinner party in honor of me and that at her house. And they're just a tremendous family. And, and I've known Matthew and Brady since they, you know, they were three, four years old. And funny story, because Chantel asked me one year, she goes, hey, I want Brady to dress up as a, as a referee and can you give me a jersey? And I knew it would be way too big for him, but I gave him this jersey. And, and so then he, he loved this referee jersey. So then he'd start wearing it to the blues games when I was reffing the blues games and I'd see him underneath <laughs> and we'd give, he'd come up to me and I'd give him a big hug and, and it would just bother Walt because he was like, my son is not going to become a referee. He's going to be an NHL player. He's not, be, I don't want him to be a referee and we would laugh. <laughs> so there's just the, you know what, Ottawa is so lucky to have, Brady because not only is he a great player but the reason that he's been named captain is because he's a great person he and I know that term gets overused sometimes but Brady and Matthew they're the type of kids that you want your daughter to marry they're the type of kids that would do anything we had a kid uh, a kid that I coached a couple of years ago he got attacked by a pit bull it's about two summers ago and took off half of his skull and we had this big fundraiser and, and a parade for him in front of his house. And and I phoned Matthew and Brady and, and I said, hey, do you guys think he could be part of the parade? And right away, we'll be there, Pilsy. What time do you want us to be there? Like that's the type of people they are. They're just tremendous people. And I'm so happy for Ottawa because Ottawa I know has had some tough years and with the young talent they have now and with a captain like that, and uh, their coaching staff, the GM, you know, I think Ottawa is a team that's going to be a lot. It is already a lot of fun to watch, but I think in a couple of years, it's going to be a really a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, and I love how Mark second. always, I love how, I love how Mark always trolls that Ottawa would be better in Toronto in a couple, than Toronto in a couple <laughs> of years. <laughs> just firing up that. the Toronto Maple Leaf. Yeah, yeah, just firing up the Toronto Maple Leaf fans. I love it. <laughs> Math. Um, have you ever called a penalty on Brady? Yes, I've called a couple, one a couple that he deserved, but I called a goalie interference penalty against him uh, a couple of years ago in Ottawa, actually. And I texted him after the game because I looked at it and I said, "What a terrible call!" I said, and as soon <laughs> as I as soon as I finished my conversation with him, I phoned Chantel because because I didn't want Chantel to be mad at me. So. So we, I call Chantel Mama Bear because, you know, Walt's got this big personality and the boys and so on. But at the end of the day, Chantel is the one that runs this house. Like she runs it. Yeah. And I remember a couple of years ago, we were, we were at OB Clark's and it was, it was in the, the summertime and, and it was somebody's birthday. And, but it was Walt and I, Brady and our good buddy, Jimmy O'Brien that owns a bar at OB Clark's and we're sitting around drinking and, and they were supposed to be home hours ago. And, and, uh, you know, Walt is like, hey, one more, boys, one more. And they're like, mom's going to be mad. Mom's going to be mad. And they're like, he's like, she'll be fine. And all of a sudden, I've got my back to the door. 
and Brady's looking at the at the door, and all of a sudden he goes, "Uh oh!" And I go, "What?" And he goes, "Chantel's here," and she comes walking over, and she goes, "You, you, and you, up now, and we're leaving." And and just like they were oh, like ten years old, you know, and these guys are playing in the NHL, and just like they were ten years old, they get up and they just followed her right out the front door. It was oh. hilarious. <laughs> um. You brought up Ottawa, and I'm curious if you would want to officiate a game right now in Ottawa with 10 guys out of the lineup due to COVID protocols. Is that a a situation that you would not want to be in as an official? Should the league have stopped these games? Man, that's a, I, I've never even thought of that. You know, our guys, our guys have been lucky this year. I haven't had heard of too many of our guys that have got COVID. Um, Mm. The, the last year that you know there were a number of our guys that did and but this year i don't think that that many of our guys have you know we're we it's different for the players because they're in the dressing room together they're checking players from the opposing team they're in a lot more physical uh uh contact than we are but i will that's a great question though wally because i will say this when Nashville and Carolina uh, got COVID last year and they had played each other in Nashville. I won't mention his name, but the linesman working that game also got COVID the next day because you think about it, he's the linesman, he's conducting the face-off. His head is right down there between these two players. And, And sure enough, the linesman that was doing that game got COVID. So I wouldn't worry about it. I I can't answer for the other guys um, because I think the league has done a good job. You know, it's it's unfortunate because we're we're taking all these precautions, but then guys are still getting it, even though they've been vaccinated and had the booster shot and so on. So mm-hmm. hopefully, and I, we keep saying that for for the last year and a half. Hopefully, it starts to die down because a lot. You know, here in St. Louis, St. Louis was humming along. You know, four and zero, five and zero. Uh, and then O'Reilly gets gets caught with COVID, and O'Reilly's the most important player on their team, bar down. And it, you'd hate to see you'd hate to see you know come March when teams are fighting for a playoff spot, and all of a sudden oh their best players get COVID. Jeez, that would suck for that team. Like I would, it would be yeah. terrible. So hopefully we, you know, if teams are going to get it, I hope they get it early so that the second half of the season we don't have as many cases. Uh, I meant to bring this up earlier, so I apologize for jumping around. Brian Murray was always known to have a great sarcastic wit about him on the bench, at least with his players. I'm curious if you ever had any interactions with Brian Murray while you were roughing a game. I did. Brian, uh, he he was he was tough. You know, he was tough. He was <laughs> tough on me. He was tough as a GM, and it was it was funny because. We were walking out of the, it was the all-star game. Cause when did Brian pass away? Uh, Five, six year years ago? That? Yeah. 2017, well, 2018? Se- what? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. So was, was it up prior to that? So, so it was 2012 anyway. though. It was 2012 and we got the all-star game in Ottawa. And 
we're at these receptions and, you know, everyone's got a couple drinks under them and so on. And, and I've got my wife and, you know, she's pregnant. So Brian's, Brian can't, can't give me a pile of crap. You know, I'm standing there with my pregnant wife and, <laughs> and Brian's there with his wife. And I introduced myself and, and I said to, to Tisha, I go, and, and to Brian's wife, I go, you guys would not believe how nice Brian is to me. I was, I was being like, so <laughs> he is nice to me all the time. It's unbelievable. He goes up and he starts laughing. He goes, you're a beauty. He says, he goes, you're, and, but we, then we, 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 I wouldn't say we were friends, but whenever we'd see each other, it, because we kind of broke that barrier of, you know, a lot of people that if they don't know you, they just see you as a guy that's got a jersey on that calls penalties against their team. They don't know that yep. you've got a family and that you're actually a pretty good guy and you care for people and and you don't want to go out there and, and you know, make somebody lose or, or call a penalty late in the game that that team, but sometimes, you, well, not sometimes, you just got to do your job. And until you get to know that person, and that's what happened with Brian and I, and then we'd always you know, share a story and, and, and talk afterwards. And it was a sad, sad day when I heard that he passed away because he was a great man. He loved his players. He loved his, his family and, and he loved the Ottawa senators and, and uh, mm-hmm. he'll be, he'll be missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted just to point out that Darren Dreger is now tweeting. That sounds like postponements coming for the Ottawa senators could be the next three games. So uh, oh, something wow. we'll keep an eye wow. on for sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, I mean, just, you know what? Many. It's it's the right thing to do because at the end of the day, the National Hockey League, we've got to put the best product on the ice. And if we're not putting the, you know, the fans are, are going down, they're paying good money to go down and see the best players on that team. Yeah. And if there's five, six, seven players missing, they're not they're not going to watch a, an American Hockey League game. They're going to watch a National Hockey League game. So that's good to hear that they're doing that because that's the fans deserve that. And and yeah. and, and quite frankly. Is it, is it fair for other teams, we'll say in Ottawa's division, for for Ottawa to be playing with a, a depleted team when teams like Winnipeg and other, other teams are playing against Ottawa? And it's probably going to be not an easy two points, but chances are Ottawa will win that game. So it's, fair, right. it's not yeah. fair for people in their division as well. I never thought of so, that. Yeah, That's actually Tampa's- a really good point. Yeah. Right, like, what if Florida's trying to get the, to win the division or whatever, and Tampa gets three extra games against Ottawa, who's in COVID yeah. protocol? Right, like it, it's so exactly. much surrounding everybody. Um, you know, you know okay, I, I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to be the league right now because they're they're having to. This is this yeah. is a whole new uh, playing field, and they're juggling a lot of balls trying to make this work for everybody. Yeah. It can't be. It can't be easy. So, mm. um, can you explain to me? Goaltender interference in 30 seconds. Go. Don't go in the blue paint. <laughs> Don't go in the blue paint. If you go in the blue paint on your own, you run the risk of goaltender interference. If you get shoved into the blue paint, like Stamkos did the other night by, uh, I forget what player, and I was watching the game and then I listened to it. It was on, the Ottawa game, right? Ottawa game against it, Tampa? Is that the one you're the talking Ottawa about? Game? Yeah. Like two weeks and ago, I think. Anyway, yeah, there was like a Congo line yeah. of players that got shoved into Correct. it. Yeah, I think Nick Paul but, pushed him or something. Yeah. yeah. But if you if you go into the crease and and you've got a presence in the crease that the goaltender is, is unable to properly play his position, and that's what I would, would always describe it, the goalie has to properly play his position. 
Just because there isn't any contact doesn't mean there's goalie interference. If Brady Kachuk yeah. is inside the blue and Carey Price has to back up from him and is closer to his goal line, and there's separation between Brady and Carey, but Brady has established presence in the crease and the puck goes in, then it should be no goal because Carey Price is unable to properly play his position. He can't prop, yeah. he is not taking that shot from the point with his skates on the goal line. He's taking that shot coming out to the top of the crease to, to uh, cut down the angle. So that's what the league looks at. That's what our, official, our officials are, are instructed to do. And hey, listen, there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of gray. Goalie interference is not an easy yeah. call. Um, Fielsio, you know, just on that point, I don't want before we jump to another topic. So if a player is standing yeah. like Brady Kachuk and his skates are, you know, in the white area, like not in the crease, but at the top of the crease, and, you know, maybe his backside is, you know, his, his ass is hanging out a little bit or he's bent over and he's kind of over that line. Um, and it's, you know, and you got the goalie putting his hand up. Does that, is that considered goalie interference if he's crossing that in, invisible barrier? Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's, a, that's where they get tough because yeah. right up the road from you guys, there's a guy, number 11, Brendan Gallagher, who's the best at that. He's, he's the best very good at, at it. He's the, he's yeah. the best at knowing where to put his skates, but his rear end is in the crease. And yeah. it, I, it, that's the tough one. That is a, it's a tough call. It's a tough call for the officials. It's a tough call yeah. for the league. And I don't have a, a, a clear and cut answer for you that because the, that's when it gets really tough. How much, well, how much that's when the, that's when the, that's when hockey ops and they do a tremendous job in Toronto, but that's when they need to determine how much contact was made uh, by his rear end, you know? So well, that's an honest answer and I appreciate that. So thank you. No problem. No problem. <laughs> So, so then it kind of relates, it relates to the same. Are you a fan of replay? Are officials fans of the replay as it is now? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like when they brought in, you know, years ago, it was it was brought in originally for goalie interference for, for goals and, and no goals. And I remember leaving Madison Square Garden one night and I had missed a call against the Rangers and it resulted in the winning goal and it was on Lundquist and he was sour and I leave the game and everybody thinks we just go back to the hotel and have a couple of beers and go to bed and don't and we don't worry about it but it bugged me for two or three days but I had that pit in my stomach and as an official it sucked to get that pit in your stomach because mm. you didn't get it out until you worked the next game so the last thing that we want is as the as the officials on the ice is to be the, the the determining factor in the outcome of the game. And so when they brought in video review, you know, I was the standby ref in St. Louis back in the second round a few years ago, when, well, two years ago when they went on their cup run and it was game four in St. Louis when Timo Meyer gloved the puck, gloved the puck to a teammate and they put it in in overtime and St. Louis lost the game and the refs were chased off the ice. You had Mark Joannette, Dan O'Rourke, Johnny Murray, all three guys that work Stanley, multiple Stanley Cups, phenomenal refs. They just missed it. They just missed it. I was standing at the Zamboni watching the game. I didn't even see it. The play was at the other end, but, and most of the fans didn't see it, but then they show the replay on the Jumbotron. Then the coaches are looking at it on their iPads. 
everybody is watching it at home. So from the United States to China, everybody in the world could see that, that he had gloved it, except the four guys on the ice. Well, that just mm. didn't make any sense. So then they changed it the next year. And now we were able to review that we can, you know, everyone, everyone sees like the, the, the play with Sergachev the other day in Toronto with a headshot. I didn't think it was that bad. You know, I honestly, I understand why they suspended him, but in real time, and I, and I always use this, if you can watch it in real time, it is really tough to tell whether did he get his, I'm not a, just talking about this hit, but in other hits, it's really tough to tell, did he get him in the shoulder first or was the principal point of contact the head? In real time, it's easy for us to sit there and watch it three times and go, oh my God, how did they not call this? But I'm telling yeah. you as a ref, in real time, it's tough to tell when a guy gets blown up. Did he get him in the head or did he get him in the yeah. shoulder pad or did he get him in the chest first? And so because we can review those plays now and double minor plays, like, I mean, there was nothing worse than when I refereed and you called, you, you felt like you just got the call of the week. You got a double minor for high stick and the guy's bleeding and you got the call. You go over announce it and they show it on the jumbotron that it was his own teammate stick and you've got four minutes up there and you literally want to dig a hole in the ice and bury yourself and disappear because you literally got the call 100% wrong. And the fans are going crazy. And that whole four minutes, you're like, please kill off the penalty. Please kill off the penalty. Please kill off the penalty. <laughs> and so now that we can review that, that's good because we don't want to be in a playoff game where one of our officials makes a, a call because as you guys know, there, there could, could, could be two, three sticks up there and you think you saw it, but the three of us, if we were refereeing the game together, because it's just the way we are and we're built, we all see things differently. You know, we all see things differently. And as, as uh, you know, we don't want a playoff game to be determined, the outcome to be determined on a four minute power play that shouldn't have been a four minute power play. And so at the end of the day, they're getting the calls right. And I think it's led to less controversy, really. We can talk about Connor McDavid and tripping penalties and so on, but we haven't had, we're not going on, on Sports Center or, or whatever talking about a call that was made the night before that determined the outcome of, of a game. That's just not happening. Same thing with offside goals. We're not showing highlights the next day and saying this team won, but the goal was two feet offside. So at the end of the day, they're getting it right. And, you know, do we want to expand it? I don't think so. I think we're in a good place now. Right now, we need to have hum we need to still have that human element when it comes to officiating. We have it in every other sport, and there's going to be mistakes made, just like the players make. But I think they're they've got it in a good place right now. I agree with uh, all of that. Tim, a couple do, you, of do you guys? I just one more on that, Wally, because you guys yeah, yeah. talked about replays. PLZ, when you guys are finished a period, and maybe there was a controversial call, controversial call during that, you know, during that that first period or whatever it was, during the intermission, do you guys go on your phones and like look up a video on Twitter? Do you have an iPad that's like been given you from the league? Like, how do you do? You guys just talk about it? Do you are you able to see yeah. the clips? So that's a, that's actually a great question because we're not supposed to have our phones on in the room and it's a good policy. Uh, Stephen Walkham wants no, but but Stephen Walkham wants us to be focused and he doesn't want any outside distractions, which is sure. good. 
But if there is a play that we know we're going to come out to start the second period or the third period and DJ Smith is going to be down on the boards waiting for us because he wants an explanation on a call. Let's look at it beforehand, guys. Let's pull it up like you just said on social media or, or whatever network and and know what we're talking about before we go on because he may just be trying to get an advantage to get the next couple calls. And, exactly. And if we can, if we know what happened, we can say, no, 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 this is the way it happened. We looked at it, but on the flip side, it's also good when you come out and you go, you're right. You were right. We missed it. I looked at it in between periods and we missed it. And then he goes, okay. But if you just skate around and you go, no, no, you're wrong. I got it right. No. But if you come over and you go, you're right. We missed it. We got the call wrong. And he goes, okay. And because then what's he going to say? He can't yell at, he's not going to exactly. yell at you anymore because he realizes yeah. you're a human being and you made a mistake. But yeah. you can't, you can't, like I always would tell people, you can't go over to a coach three or four times a game and say, I made a mistake. Because then they're like, well, maybe you shouldn't be in the National Hockey League, you know. But if every once in a while, not all the time, but when needed, you go over and you humanize yourself and say, you know what, I got, I, I saw that play wrong. I, I'm sorry, guys. I'm glad you killed off the penalty. And I would say that numerous mm. times throughout my career, not numerous times in a game, but throughout my career. <laughs> and right away, the right away, the players on the bench would go, oh, don't worry about it, Peelzy. Thanks for thanks for coming over. That's what they'd say. And the coach would go, thanks for coming over. Because the worst thing is to be arrogant and go, no, no, I made the call right. And, and no, you need to, you need to admit. And, and when you, you're going to make mistakes and everybody realizes that. And uh, so it just, it makes, makes it better. Hmm. Uh, I'll bring up the hot mic issue, but the only reason I want to bring it up is because I want to know how your life changed afterwards because you were, I six weeks, I think, from retirement. Four weeks. So four, uh, yeah, four, four weeks. weeks. And and like I, I just know of stuff like it would really have bothered me mentally to try and recover from that. And I know just like can you take us through what it was like yeah. for you yeah, no, for sure. after the incident? For sure. Yeah. No, that night it happened. Uh I didn't even realize what I had, had said. And then uh after the game, because it had on me there that I wanted to get a uh F and penalty against Nashville and and my verbiage just came out wrong because I think I was embarrassed because I made this call and I knew it wasn't a good penalty because I saw the replay and I was working with a veteran Kelly Sutherland and not only were we really good friends but I really respected his his ability you know what he had accomplished in the game and gold medals and Sochi and and uh, multiple Stanley Cup finals. So I was embarrassed that I would make this call because it wasn't normally what I would do. And so, and, and we only called two penalties against Nashville the entire game. So obviously my intent was not to get Nashville. And I like to tell this story because it's kind of important. Before the game, uh, there was a, a trainer for the Nashville Predators. His name was Pete Rogers. And Pete was in Rochester back 30 years ago when I was there, 25 years ago. And and he had been the, the trainer for, or the equipment manager for the National Predators forever and had taken care of me throughout my whole career. So that afternoon I went and bought like a bottle of Camus wine and took it down to his room and, and sat in, in the room and Yossi's coming in, all the players, and we're just in the office and having a coffee and Todd Richards is in there. And 
good to see him back because I know he had a heart attack a few weeks ago, but he's back on the bench, so that's good. And Richie and I and, and Pete are sitting around and just shooting the crap about horseback riding and kids and hockey. And so I didn't leave the Nashville dressing room going, I want to get Nashville. It was just my, it's the world we're living in now that you make a mistake. A two, like I said to somebody, they, somebody wants me to get into, into public speaking. And I said, I said, imagine, I said, you've built your a reputation up for 23 years throughout yeah. the world, but really in North America and, 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 and in my adopted hometown of, of St. Louis and a two second, it was a two second audio clip. It completely wiped it all away. And I go, that's pretty powerful stuff. That it, and, and like I said to somebody, it's not like I got a DUI. It's not like I got charged with domestic abuse. It's not like I used a racial slur. Some things that you may never recover from. This was a two second clip that I just said the wrong thing on the ice. So yep. I said to, I said, I, uh, to the guys after the game, I go, I may get fired tonight. And they're like, so next morning I'm at the airport. I was supposed to go to Dallas. I knew I'd been taken off that game already. So I was at the airport in, in Nashville and Stephen Walken called up at 7.30 in the morning and said, you've worked your last game in the National Hockey League. And it was March 24th. My final game was April 24th. The St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong and, and uh, Tom Stone and the ownership group here, they're phenomenal people. They had tickets made up already on blues tickets, Tim Peel's final game. And it was supposed to be a really fun event. So uh, I get on the, so I said to Steven, I go, okay, thanks. I said, I gotta let you go. I gotta get on a flight. I didn't even, I didn't go, no, don't do it. I didn't grovel. I said, okay, I knew it was done. So I get on the plane, I plane, I fly home. And I haven't even told my wife yet because I didn't tell her Tuesday night uh, after the game because I didn't know what was gonna happen. So I didn't want her to worry. Well, now I'm flying home. I land at 8.30. Well, now it's already out in social media. So now my wife's got to find out from getting text messages from other other people. Yeah. And so I come home and she's crying. And anyway, from drive to the airport or from the airport home, I literally was, was I don't want to say I was fine, but I was not, a, I was not as upset as I think people expected me to be. Like I, I was left a, at an adoption agency. I grew up in a trailer park in Canada. My mom died of cancer at age 50. I go, nothing ever came easy to me my entire life. And I've had more adversity and, and but I've always been resilient and had perseverance. And I just looked at life that way that I wasn't gonna let one moment define me. So I'm driving home and I get this number come across and it's David Clarkson or it's a Columbus number. And I don't, I don't know, have, have his number in my phone. I answer and it's David Clarkson. Well, David Clarkson hated referees. He, he played for four teams and he was really difficult to officiate. And so when I answered him and I had a lot of battles over the years. So when I answered the phone and he said that David Clarkson, I thought he was going to say, yeah, it looks good on you. You know, um, and he goes, I just want you to know, I think what, I think what happened to you is a travesty. I'm in, I'm in Denver and playing with some ex players, retired guys. And we just think what happened to you is just, it's, it's not right. And so those phone calls just kept coming in and, and, uh, text messages, you know, from, and I'm name dropping here, but you know, Gretzky and Brian Burke called me and Daryl Sutter and Tortorella and just every coach, GM, ex-player, current players. And I don't want to say it made it easier, but, but it kind of did. And then 
it was about 1.30 that afternoon. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm just surviving at this point. I'm really kind of on autopilot. And Chaser calls me. And I had talked to him earlier in the morning about my incident, but he calls and he goes, well, he goes, I got some bad news for you. I go, what? He goes, he goes, uh, he goes, Bobby Plager just got killed in a car accident. Bobby Plager was the man here in St. Louis. Like he, he was, he was the man and I loved Bobby and he loved my kids and my wife and, and Chaser said to me, he goes, cause social media around the world in North America was blowing up and, but in St. Louis it was really blowing up about me and all of a sudden it went to Bobby Plager and Chaser goes Bobby Plager loved you so much you thought he'd take the heat off you today and so <laughs> I'm I, so I'm surviving and then and then it was the the one and only time that I had ever cried and that's when my kids came home and, and I saw them and I realized that because they, they were really looking forward to me doing my last game. They were really pumped about it and, and all their friends coming. And, and so I, but part of me was, I was, I was crying because of that. And then the other part of me, I had to tell them that Bobby had passed away and Bronson, my son plays hockey with Jamal Mayers, his boy Jamal and I coach the team and Bronson loved Bobby. And, and so I had to tell him that. So, but you know what, it, it's, uh, it's, I've been good. Like I, you know, Jamal Mayers and I and Andy Strickland, we started a radio show down here in St. Louis on Tuesdays. The three of us go in there and, and other opportunities that have come my way. And I, I, I Ron, Jeremy Roenick, you know, he got, he, you know, got in some trouble and Milbury got in trouble. And, and I don't want to say it was cancel culture, but you know, they, a, couple, a bunch of people said, Hey, you know, welcome to the cancel club. You know, you say one wrong, one wrong thing and it wipes away 23 years. And, and I have nothing but uh, good things to say about Bill Daly and Gary Bettman and the national hockey league. They, do I wish the outcome was different? Probably. Of course I do, yeah. Yeah. but I understand why they did it. And they were phenomenal to me my whole career. They treated me well, even after this incident, I talked to Bill several times and I still have a good relationship with the league and, and things happen, but it's it's where you, you it's the it's where you end up at the end of the day and, and at the end of your life. It's that one two second clip isn't going to define Tim Peel and and because of it, like it or not, it gave me name recognition. You know, you can say what you want about it, but yeah. and it's how you it's how you deal with it afterwards. And and I wasn't going to go down in my basement and feel sorry about myself because nobody else was going to feel sorry about me. You know, it was just me and my wife and my kids. And at the end of the day, I had to show. And I said that to Tisha because she said to me once, she goes, "You're not really letting this bother you." I go, "Babe, I go, you know." I started late in life. I got a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. I go, I've got to set an example for them. I, about, you know, I, I, I've got a referee school here in, yeah. in, uh, in St. Louis, and I gave this talk at my camp, and one of the moms came up to me a couple days later, and she goes, I wish your camp was a week long. And I go, why is that? And she goes, because my kid comes home, and, and he goes, the life, she said, the life lessons that you're teaching them. Because I told these kids at camp, I said, Life's pretty, they're 14 to 21. They go, life's pretty good right now. Probably got a girlfriend. You're in high school. Mom and dad bought you a car. You know, you're having fun. I go, but guess what? Life's going to suck sometimes. You're going to get kicked in the you know what. But I said, and it's yep. going to happen. It's going to happen to you. But it's how you deal with it. And it's how you come out on the other side. And that's kind of how I've looked at things my entire life. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, it's so funny because I'm actually, even when it happens, 
I wouldn't say I was relieved, but I was then really excited about, okay, what's the, what's the next chapter of my life now? Like, where am I, what am I, because I've always wanted to, to do media and radio and TV. And like, I, when I was in school, I would be the one that would, you know, host and MC stuff at our high school. And I just go, I feel comfortable doing it. So I was looking forward to, to hey, what's going to happen in the fall? What new opportunities are going to come my way? And, and that's what I'm excited about now. Good for and you. you've done a phenomenal job. Um, you did bring up about having to tell your kids, and I, I, it struck a nerve with me because I remember the day that I got called by TSN, having to walk down the hall and go to my kids. Like your dad doesn't work for TSN anymore, and that that was the one of the toughest ones. I so, and having you to know what, Wally, that's, how you respond to it is huge. Yeah, you know what, Wally? That's funny you said that because kids are so funny, right? Brielle, she's a horseback rider, my little girl, and. And so that afternoon she came home from school and I was driving her up to the stables to go horseback riding and she's in the back seat and nobody had told her this because I told Tisha when I got home, Tisha goes, I didn't tell her that. And she goes, Dada, can you do me a favor? I go, yeah, baby girl. I go, what's that? She goes, can you tell people that you didn't get fired by the NHL? And I was like, <laughs> like, man, it bothered me. Cause I'm like, you know, yeah, no man, kidding. let's be honest. And I'm going to, I thought about it a couple days ago. I thought about when, because we've never talked about it. We've really never talked about it. All we've talked about is the, the good thing. Daddy's home now. You know, like I mentioned earlier, Jamal Mayers and I coach the select team and his son and my son play on it. And all we've talked about is how I'm at every practice now and at every game and at Brielle's horse shows and how I'm around. Mm. But there'll be a time to, that comes in the next few years. They're still a little too young, but you know, I'm sure they're on the internet now. And if they Google my name, it pops up there, you know, Peel fired by. So I'll have to explain it to them maybe a little bit in greater detail when they can understand it a little bit better. I've, I've kept you way too long. I have one last question and I will leave on a positive yeah. note. And can you tell me about Temu Solani? Perhaps was he the biggest star that was the biggest pain in your ass? He was a pain. He was a pain. He was tough, you know, and we were in Russia for the uh, 2014 uh, Sochi Olympics and I was fortunate enough I worked the bronze medal game between Finland and uh, the US, USA and I don't know when the last time that Finland had won a medal at the Olympics I think it had been a long time and I'd have to look it up but it for Finland to win a medal uh, a silver medal at the Olympic, or I'm sorry, a bronze medal at the Olympics was going to be a huge, huge deal. And Timu was tough, but he was emotional, but you know, I had a tremendous amount of respect for him because he was just such a phenomenal player. And, and uh, but in the, in the first period of the bronze medal game, uh, I had to call two penalty shots in USA's favor. And one of them was a uh, fin Finnish player was, was back checking and he broke Patrick Kane's stick. The other one was a blatant trip and there were two automatic penalty shots and USA missed both of them, in, for, in, which was good for Finland. But Solani comes over and I mean, if, if COVID was existing back then, I was going to get it because he was spitting and yelling <laughs> and in my face how I was just putting it right to Finland, which was not the case. 
And if this was any other game, I would have given him on Sportsmanlike, maybe a 10, maybe got, got, got him out of the game. But I'm like, buddy, this is on national, this is on TV throughout the world. This is the bronze medal game. It's Timu Solani, the greatest Finnish player to ever play for Finland. You got to suck this up, big boy. And you can't even give him an unsportsmanlike penalty. You got to, you got to just eat it and take it. So <laughs> I took it. I didn't, I tried to calm him down. I didn't give him a penalty. They come back, they win the game. And uh, where the official stayed in the village, the hotel we were at, it was really the only place that had a good hotel bar. And that's where we hung out. And sure enough, around midnight, here comes the whole Finnish team in. And Timo Kiemann, I love Timo. He was one of my favorite players. We just loved each other on the ice. And, and Yarmo Kikalainen, I love Yarmo. And here comes Timo. And now he sees me. He's like, PLZ. And he gives me a big hug. And we get drunk <laughs> together. I think, we, I think we drank until <laughs> 6 in the morning until we got on the plane to go back to North America. But it was funny because we laughed. I go, you are the biggest front runner I've ever seen. I said, two out, three hours ago, I said, you wanted to rip my head off. And now we're drinking beer and everything's <laughs> great. But it was awesome. It was great for him because it, you know, as as you're as America or you know, North Americans, we know it's important, but it's really important to those European countries, to Sweden and Finland and some of these other countries when they get a medal at these Olympics. because uh, we always expect the gold, you know, growing up in Canada, but for these other countries. And so for Timu, it just kind of put a cherry, I think, on the top of, of his great Hall of Fame career. Hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Tim, I've taken, as I keep saying, I've kept you way too long. I appreciate all the time. No, no, was. it was fun. Uh, and it's always good to talk to an Brunswick guy. So uh, we hope to get you back on, <laughs> I, unless you block yeah. my number. So I will uh, reach no, out no. to you again soon, my friend. Yeah, it was great to see you guys. Great to see you, Mark. And, you know, Brent, Brent was one of those guys, Mark, when – We'd come out, out of the tunnel in Ottawa. He'd always be standing there and he'd go, hey, Timmy, how you doing? Hey, Brent, how you doing? He was always respectful and nice, and, and nice to us. So I never forgot that. So that's why when you reached out Good. and I always loved Mark and, and I, I'm happy for you guys. And down the road, anytime you guys want me to come on, let me know. We'll hold Appreciate you to it. it. Peeler. Uh, thanks very much. Brother. Okay. Talk, talk okay. Soon. Thanks, okay. guys. See ya. There goes Tim Peel, uh, who's a phenomenal story, and I've enjoyed every second of talking to him. And we've always chatted throughout the years, just in the hallway when you're walking by. So uh, appreciated Tim mm. Peel coming on. Just uh, that's brought to you, by the way, by Whitewater Beer, and I wish we could have had a few because I would have shared them with him uh, throughout that interview. Uh, Whitewater Beer, uh, phenomenal beer, by the way. Uh, Shopwhitewater.ca, fifteen percent off. Use the Walimathau coupon. Uh, Meth, I've kept you too long, I know, um, but I want to do quickly just before you go. Oh, no. uh, the fact that they've canceled these three games. And what it's Has going it been to official? Mean, uh, I, I'm going to say it's almost close. Let me just double check and see if there's. But yeah, if Darren Dreger says it, I'm going to yeah, go Bruce tweeted Bruce tweeted it too. So I think it's pretty. Okay. Uh, All right. I think it's pretty it's official. Pretty, pretty official. Um, what a uh, what a like what a good what, dude though. I just just really quickly on Peeler, yeah. like, I, I just like that was one of my favorite interviews because of his story. Yeah. And he's such a well-spoken guy because I knew this about him before and you did too, Wally, right? We already knew the guy. So when that happened to him, all I could think was like, man, like they got him, you know, like in a gotcha moment that yep. was like two to three seconds yep, long. And it's, and it's essentially defined his effing career. And it's such a shame yeah. because there was no, there was no malicious thing behind it. Right. It was just a, an unintentional mistake 
that essentially got him, you know, fired. Anyway, it's such a shame because such a good guy. And I just wanted to make sure we're acknowledging that, which you've already done, Wally. And I wanted yeah. to throw in my two cents. Like, there's one thing about like his backstory of, and he brought it up briefly and I, we just didn't have time to talk. And I'd like to have him back on is, you know, going through being an adopted boy and, and not having a lot and living in a trailer park and yeah, man. getting his way to be at the pinnacle of the National Hockey League. Like that, that's a huge success story. So he's, uh, he's earned his a, stripes a, a for fan. sure. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, with this COVID thing, uh, I think we're now going to perhaps see that Sens start to get back and get healthy again, which obviously when you watch these last few games, you could see, especially the Calgary game, nothing left, right? You take out your top scoring player in Drake Batherson. There's just, there, so I'm, I'm thankful the NHL decided finally to take a look at this and to step in and just go, okay, enough. Yeah. And, and who were we talking to about this the other day where they, I forget who it was, Wally. We were talking about, you know, once you start losing some players, it's one thing. But when a lot, and I know it's unfair and it doesn't sound fair or balanced, but when you start losing some stars and it's seriously affecting your yes. performance as a group, I'm not talking about health. Health is incredibly important, but that's obvious. But the, but the production itself, and when you start losing some big names, like at some point, you just have to call it, right? And we touched on that in the interview yeah. where it's just, it's, it's not only unfair to the team here in Ottawa. But it's unfair for other teams, divisional opponents. Like it has a a trickle down effect, and so I think it's the right play. I I like to downplay stuff. I will fully admit it. That's me as a, as a whole, you know. And and I grew up hard. Yeah. And I I I can play the tough guy role lots, but in this case, I think it's appropriate. I think they're making the right decision. I was looking forward to calling the game on Thursday. Looks like it's it's going to be on hiatus now. I might just maybe go out to dinner with Wally instead, and Craig maybe we'll figure something out, but. Um, yeah, no, they're making the right call. I think when you start losing guys like Batherson, as we mentioned, and and who knows who else is going to go down at this point, eh, Wally? Like, it's uh, well, that's scary. So, I, I'm i gonna, by the way, I'll invite you over for steaks Thursday night. Now, my oh god, no, you is, couldn't um, pay me. No, 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 is, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, no, uh, thank se you. <laughs> seven players have played all 15 games for the Sens this year, seven. And I know there's injuries yeah. as well, but like. They have gone through a tremendous amount of players to try and just keep this thing going. And it's affects not only on ice product, but affects obviously the gate and how ticket sales go there. And it's this exactly. is a business. And then all the costs that are added on top of getting these players in, paying per diems, paying travel costs, paying hotels, paying salary. Like it's a huge, as we've seen on Cap Friendly, huge undertaking of, of just all yeah. the money that they've had to shell out. So uh, we'll see how this plays out. But uh, for now, that is. Uh, I think that's it, Matt. Like, uh, unless you wanted to. Oh, uh, sorry. One last thing. Um, by the way, before we go, brought to you by sportsinteraction.com. Go to sportsinteraction.com slash one. Is uh, Shane Pinto. Is there any business that he should have been on the ice in the last game against Calgary when he goes to take a face off and can't move his wing? Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I had a feeling you would ask me about that. I, You can't blame anybody. I'm reluctant to blame any because that's one of the best staffs, uh, medical staffs in the NHL. Like yes. I played for a couple teams. Ottawa's like second to none, really. And I mean this. I'm not trying to protect anybody here. Like Dom Nicoletta, nope. Jerry Townen, and staff are unbelievable. But they also have to listen to players, right? So if you're a player in that locker room and you're going, you know what? I'm fine, Dom. Like, just let me go. I'm good. Like, look, look at this. Look at my arm. It's fine. That's 
innate in hockey players. We all know this, right? It's 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 yeah. just the and we have all played. You don't have to play at the NHL level to be that way. We all take pride in being tough and playing through injuries, and it happens all across the NHL every game. There's never a game where the entire team is healthy and not banged up. It happens. So in Shane Pinto's case, you know, I'm not in the room. I don't know what he's saying, what he's communicating to the staff. But for all we know, he probably felt pretty good in the moment, right? And he's, I'm sure he's taking medication to eliminate to eliminate some of the pain and at the same time a little bit of that inflammation in there. So he goes, I'm ready to go. Let's go. He goes out there and it's just the wrong angle at the wrong time. And, you know, and you can't replicate a game situation in practice. As you know, Wally, you've been around the rink a ton. You know this. So it's unfortunate. I was looking forward to seeing him come back. I know everybody was. Um, but now he's got an opportunity. My concern is, does that warrant surgery? If there's surgery well, involved for your shoulder, you're looking at a long time off. For sure. And I know surgery was discussed before he came back and whether or not he could play through this year and then maybe yeah. have to do surgery afterwards. Like it was on the table. I, I'm pretty sure. And See, so for now, and can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Uh, I, no. And I want to know what you think of this, Wally. So if you had two options presented to you as a player, you're in a non Stanley cup contending situation on a team like Ottawa. They're not going to win the cup this year. I, I don't, I don't believe if you have yeah, the option to just get the surgery out of the way right now, and then get your full summer of training and strength back or try to fight through it a little bit during the regular season and then get your surgery in May or June. And then what you're not, you're losing your whole summer of actual strength training as a young player. What option will you be wanting okay. to take? But here's the, okay. Here's the, I think this is the crucial thing His age, his age dictating. He wants to be in for a full year playing in the national hockey league and doesn't want to come out of the lineup to get the surgery. He's like, put me in. I can play. I can do this. We're losing. Yeah. They need me. I can help. Second line yeah, spot. Yeah, and I respect I can, that. This, yeah. There's yeah. all that that goes into, right? You know when you were 14 or 15 and you had like a bump, you're like, I still want to play. Like, just let me play. Yeah. I think that that yeah, plays that's, a part in that's it. That's a good point. Yeah, I just like if I don't know that that's the if right If it's approach. somewhere like, let's say Michael Delzato or someone who's played seven, eight years, I'm thinking they're doing the surgery now. If it's someone young, I think they're waiting. But it almost, it almost should be the opposite as far as longevity goes that like if you want to have a really good year next season and progress but i understand what you're saying wally i'm not arguing against your point i totally yeah. agree with you yeah i just i just don't it just to me it doesn't kind of it doesn't make sense unless you're the player and you're worried that maybe okay if i'm out of the lineup they're going to get another centerman to come in and now what does that affect my chances like so yeah. that argument i would understand but anything else to me it doesn't check out. I, I would elect to get the surgery immediately so that I'm healthy and strong and productive. And I know that that thing is secure next September, you know, but I know there's, there are different variables and circumstances that affect that decision-making. I know. I just think it's because he's young. He just wants to get back in the lineup and yeah. maybe does, I just, and, I want to know how bad it is. Whatever doctor. Well, so maybe it hasn't been discussed at just how serious it is. Maybe they can't tell. I don't know. Yeah. I know there's all kinds of medical stuff yeah. that they can do, but maybe they, they just didn't know it was that bad. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Good point. But, and now, I, and now before, I, cause I know you're probably just about to let me go here. I don't want to go anywhere by the way. Cause my, my daughter's sleeping until three. Um, what happens on that D core now when you've got Thompson now in the lineup, Hetherington's looking really good. Like they've got some call-ups that came in. We thought they were going to get blown yeah. out of the water. And now all of a sudden yeah. it's like 
Okay. You've got more serviceable D-men, and I'm like, where do we even go with this? <laughs> okay, but hold on a second. So I'm going to play devil's yeah. advocate here because we've seen this enough Please. throughout our careers. Lassie Thompson has played three National Hockey League games. Are we now crowning him a top-line pairing here all of a sudden? <laughs> he, he can play... I know. You know what I'm saying, Matt? Like some guys come in yeah, and have some pretty I good do. games, or the fact that they're a depleted lineup and they look this way. Like I, but one thing that needs to be pointed out: Lassie Thompson had a very I'm good training camp, and people forgot about that. And so, yeah. And he was also on the taxi squad last year. He like he's gotten some reps in playing with this big club, if you will. I just think that, yeah. I don't know. Three games in, I don't know that you need to crown him a top line defenseman right now. Has he played well? Absolutely. But can we pump the brakes a little? Yeah, no, no, no. And, and another big thing is adrenaline and it's playing sort of out yes. of your mind for a little bit until it starts to, the hangover kind of starts to set in and you're, yeah. you're, you're playing your, your true self. I, but I, the counter to what I'm saying now, because again, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate from what I've seen, at least with Lassie Thompson, Wally, he's, his fundamentals are really good. Like he skates very well. He's not that small. Yeah. He's not a big guy. But he's not small. He's no. like he's a good size, especially for today's NHL, and he sees the ice very well. So I don't see a lot of regression moving forward in his game. Like same with Zub. You know, like last year he was very good, and we thought, okay, like let's see how he does. You know, after the summer and a full season, and with maybe a little more pressure and higher expectations, and his game hasn't changed. He's still the same really good player. So I I understand your point. I I do think he's a player. Do I think he's a number one like a top pairing defenseman right now i'd like to see a couple more games i guess so i'm with you on that one yeah yeah and don't get me wrong like i would like to see lassie thompson probably remain in the lineup uh oh, and sure. ahead of jbd at the moment i don't th I, I just don't know that jbd's ready for a full-time nhl spot just yet but i do like yeah. lassie thompson's game and i think he can move the puck really well um yeah yeah i, I have a concern uh meth and i want you to answer this for me why oh, is boy. Nick Paul a minus 10? He's minus 10. I Okay, I'm not going to lie. Full disclosure here, I had yeah. no idea he was minus 10. <laughs> I didn't either until okay, this morning. Okay, well, I have an answer. And, I have an answer. Yeah. Well, just with regards to your point. Um, you know, when you're a player like Nick Paul and you're playing on a losing team, typically he's going to be out there against a lot of the top lines. That's typically going to be your straight-up answer. You know, he's, he's facing... He's, he's kind of that shutdown role type player. And, yeah. you know, when you're in that role and you're on a losing hockey club, you're going to be facing a ton of shots against. I haven't seen the metrics. I don't know the analytics in his game right now. So I, I could I could BS you guys. But from watching him play, I mean, the instability that's been going on now throughout the lineup for a lot, aside from the top line with uh, Kachuk, Batherson, and Norris, it's kind of been a bit of like you haven't had a lot of consistency with players remaining together from the second down to the fourth line, right? Like you've had a lot of guys interchanging. So he's had, he hasn't gotten enough consistency from line mates and he's such a serviceable player that he can move up and down the lineup. And that, that on a personal level can be very detrimental to your stats. I'm just going to say that right now. So uh, okay. there's, there might be a bigger picture here. I'm going to pay more attention to him in the next few games, but I thought he's been fine. You know, I don't know that he's maybe producing as much as he'd like right now, but that's a lot, just like I said, He's not playing with the same guys consistently enough. And that's probably it. Fair enough. Uh, I was just su surprised that he had the team look worse. Minus no, yeah, I, that's. I understand this is a look. debacle of a season right now. And so all those numbers get skewed. It just seemed odd that it was Nick Paul. Um, yeah. All right. Sure. Uh, 
And just a reminder, a thank you to Bonisher Excavating Inc. BEI. Go to BonishereExcavating.com as another uh, full-on sponsor with the uh, Wally Mathos Show. Matt, uh, time to go. Maybe you can get a little nap in. Okay, I will. Oh. Thanks, Wally. I'll be over to help decorate the tree later. Um, that's the Wally Mathos <laughs> Show. Take care, everybody. <laughs>